As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. We're recording this on a Sunday night for Monday publication, and I'm a, I'm relieved, Bruce. I didn't know if you were going to be able to join us because the huge storm hit Southern California. But it sounds like you've you've avoided the worst of it. Yeah, and there was an earthquake mixed in, but we didn't feel that. Um, I think there's probably some there's definitely some flooding going on in other parts of Southern California, but. Didn't stop the NFL from having a preseason game right no, in the middle of the no, uh, emergency there. So I don't know if you were tuned in to watch Easton Stick start a game for the Chargers. I don't know if our listeners want to hear much more about the, the preseason game. but No, probably not. But what they do want to hear about is the final season of Pac-12 football. It's here. We think it's the fun. It's going to be the last season. I don't have a lot of hope they're going to on Scott Barnes' plan to reform it. Anyway, Lindsay Schnell, who, who who we've both been friends with for a long time, um, she's at USA Today, uh, and she went to Oregon State. So we're thinking about who should we have as a guest for Pac-12 Day. I think she brings a very unique uh, perspective on both the kind of existential crisis that school is facing right now and the 2023 Pac-12 season. We are pleased to be joined now by one of our most frequent guests over the years, Bruce. It's our friend Lindsay Schnell from USA Today, proud Oregon State alum. And so, Lindsay, it's Pac-12 Day, the last ever, probably, Pac-12 preview we'll ever do on this podcast. Um, I'm wearing want- black. I'm morning. Let's go morning. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one thing to talk about and write about it, but like somebody who's actually affected by it, um, what have the last couple of weeks been like and... Like, what are Oregon, you're in touch with other Oregon State fans. Like, what is this like right now? Well, first of all, I mean, I talk to you both all the time, and I've been joking for about a year as we've been waiting for a media deal that, as an Oregon State alum, I've made peace with being the next Boise State, you know, and I'm I'm getting ready for all those Mountain West matchups. And I was kidding, but now I think that that might actually be what happens. Um, I think that people have gone back and forth between like just pure devastation and 
panic. Um, definitely people were angry at first. I heard from a lot of fans. Obviously, I'm still in touch with like different people that work within the athletic department. And I think that what the hardest thing about it is like I was talking to a fan the other day who said, we don't really have any cards to play. Like we're people care about media markets and we don't bring a big one to the table. Um, so and I think people are just panicking because they're freaked out about the recruiting aspect of it, right? Like Bruce knows this better than anyone because he's written so much on recruiting. People are planning so far out ahead and recruiting constantly. But how do you recruit someone if you don't know what conference you're going to be in? Like, are they going to be able to watch your kid, their kids' games on a TV channel? Or is it going to be like streaming on Roku only? You know, like, I don't know what the Mountain West uh, TV deal is, but I think it's probably it's actually better than the Pac-12s, right? God, that's depressing. Um, so, yeah, and I think that there are a lot of people that are angry at Oregon. And it's kind of funny because right before everything happened, um, I was texting with an Oregon State fan who was like, Phil Knight cares about the rivalry. He won't let them leave us and I'm like Phil Knight does not give a shit about Oregon State <laughs> like you are stupid if you think that and then 12 hours later like the conference had dissolved one thing that's interesting is you know and I've said this a lot like as so I graduated from Oregon State in 2009 when I was a student there I was really heavily involved in different um, student leadership things on campus and so I was around Ed Ray a fair amount. And then obviously I covered the program for a long time and I was always very underwhelmed by him as a leader. And so when Larry Scott over the course of however many years was turning the PAC 12 into a laughingstock, you know, across the nation, I knew that Ed Ray was a big part of that because he was someone that like backed Larry Scott the whole time. Um, I'm just continually shocked at the hubris of the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. And now that it got to this point, I also think an alarming amount of people are naive, thinking that like people aren't lying to them constantly. Um, and so I, I do think that Scott Barnes is, you know, I appreciate like as an alum, as, you know, I like I root for them. Like I watch them um, on the weekends. I'm not super invested, but you know, it's my school. I want to see him be successful. Um, they, he's out front. He's talking like he, I, I really think he is like determined to try to fix something. And I appreciate that. I think that part of why it's so devastating is it wasn't that long ago that Gary Anderson just up and left the program in complete disarray. And there was panic then that like, oh my gosh, are we ever going to be able to recover? How are we ever going to be able to rebuild? And they have. And I think, you know, they're ranked in the AP and the coaches poll. They're 18 in both, right? I think. I know they're 18 in an AP. Um, and now, like, does it does it even matter? <laughs> but And I don't think that it's extra motivation to, like, win the league, but hopefully. I wanted to ask you this. First of all, by the way, Scott Barnes, for our listeners who don't know, is the AD at Oregon State now. Um, I did want to ask you. Wait, wait, wait. I also wanted to make sure the listeners know, because many of them probably don't. Ed Ray was the president of Oregon State for a long time. He retired maybe a couple years ago. And Lindsay's absolutely right. He and Michael Crow at ASU were the biggest defenders, enablers, whatever you want to call it, of Larry Scott. Just kept letting him come back and come back and come back. 
People do know who Ed Ray is because remember, he was really involved when the NCAA tried to hammer Penn State. Funny you should mention that. I was just Wikipediaing. Wikipedia. Is that a verb? It is now. Because um, I, I remember he was involved in that. And in fact, there's this very incriminating uh, sentence in here. Um, so the, you know, Penn State got, or NCAA got sued over that. Ray's deposition in the lawsuit was made public in which he admitted under oath that he did not read the free report, nor had he reviewed the consent decree drafted by the NCAA before he appeared in a press conference along with Mark Emmert announcing severe sanctions against Penn State. So, yeah. Not that's surprising at all. And one of the people running the Pac-12 for all those years. So you guys, where would the Pac-12 be? Would Larry Scott still have a job if John Canzano hadn't done that tremendous investigative series a couple of years ago? Like, breaking down all the ways he's screwed the conference? The only thing is, Lindsay, I think they would be in the same predicament if Larry Scott was in charge. I think. Okay, that's fair. Um, I don't think that would be any better. But I did want to ask you this. So... Last year, Jonathan Smith led them to their best season since Jonathan Smith was a quarterback in 2000, their best season. By the way, I went back and looked since I was alive. That was those are the two best seasons in in the relatively recent history of Oregon State. So to say that and for reference, Bruce is the oldest person on this podcast. I am. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why you're saying relatively recent. Yeah. Um, so in the in that context, though, Oregon State is very good right now. They were very good last year, and they are expected to be very good this year John, with Jonathan Smith leading the way. It's not like this is a program that is like what Stanford has become or even Cal. Um, you know, and I feel like a lot of this stuff is applicable to Wazoo. They are more like Wazoo totally. than they are the other two schools. And Wazoo's football has been, has been, you know, ever since Mike Leach got there. And then, you know, it's been a rocky couple of years. But I do think that Jake Dickert's done a good, really good job stabilizing the place. And so, you know, knowing all that, is it bittersweet to you as an alum that you guys are in a good standing football program-wise, considering what you've seen as a Oregon State alum for most of it, and then all of a sudden, yet they're getting shoved to the side. Yeah, I think so. I have this very vivid memory of when I was covering Oregon State. A good friend of mine um, who's also an alum, we were texting back and forth during some game. And he said, such a big part of being a fan of Oregon State is just waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time. So I think there is an element of this whole thing that people like aren't surprised, (laughs) you know, to your point, like, um, here's what I think though. People are worried because of the money, right? Like the PAC 12, every PAC 12 school has a much bigger operating budget than a mountain West school. But let's say that they have to rebuild the PAC 12 or go to the mountain West or whatever. Can't they rule the Mountain West and go to the playoff all the time and then make money from that? Like, because the concern, right, is if they're at a lower tier and they don't have the budget, how are they going to pay to keep Jonathan Smith? Isn't he going to want to go to another school? Like, and I've been thinking about this a lot because of how successful um, Pete was at Boise State. I feel like they kept their staff intact quite a bit under him. Um, Maybe I'm remembering wrong, but I think it's just like, it's so frustrating because for so long, Oregon and Oregon state were 
on the same page. Like they were equals for lack of a better word, I guess. And that's obviously changed over the last two decades, but even the last few years, like after Mariota graduated, you know, like their window to win a national championship, I think kind of closed. And then the Beavers have beat them a few times in the civil war. And obviously Oregon state has really good, they have national championship caliber programs in other sports between baseball is the most obvious, but their women's basketball team is a top 20 program. Their wrestling team is really good. So like there, but it just doesn't matter because football even, even if they were really good, they have a small market. You know, Scott Barnes, again, the AD, said, I was listening to some interview the other day, and someone asked him, like, what's the biggest thing that Oregon State can do to position itself, like, for the future? And he said, we need to keep winning, and we need to build an airport. And I have been harping on build an airport for <laughs> 20 years, and everyone has told me that it's – so many fans are like, that's so stupid, that's so stupid. And I'm like, no, it, those type of things matter. I and we're seeing it more now. I don't so, want to say you're misremember. It's weird because I don't actually think like market size matters all that much anymore in realignment. But for whatever reason, Corvallis and Pullman in everybody's mind are just like the most remote places on earth, right? They feel like, especially to those East Coast media companies, it must feel like the end of the earth. And yet, ever tried to go to state college? You know, ever. There are so many remote Manhattan, Kansas. There are so many remote places all around college football. It's like, it's it's more about, you know, the power of the brand. And because Oregon State, Washington State, their success has been kind of fleeting over time, right? They've just never been able to to build that up. Lindsay, I want to clarify, though. Um, I, I do think you're misremembering a little bit with the Chris Peterson part, because okay. he did lose Justin Wilcox, went to Tennessee after they were undefeated in top five in the country. And then I think either the next year or two years later, he lost Brian Harson, the offensive coordinator, to Texas. So they were they were losing, you know, top assistance to bigger schools. They weren't losing him until ultimately he decided to obviously go to UW. Yeah. But I do think that was a case of you're, you know, you're getting outbid for coordinators who want to go on to bigger stages. So that was definitely a thing for them. I think the most important thing for them, whether they keep this conference together in some way or go to the Mountain West is that this format that they, the commissioners agreed to with the, I think it'll become five. It was six, six highest ranked champions. I, if there's no PAC 12, I think that's probably going to five, right? There's no guarantee. Any of that will continue into the next contract. And if it, if it does remain that way, there's, you're, you're absolutely right. Like uh, whether it's Oregon state boys, like somebody, they're going to have a better chance to go playoff than Oregon is going to out of the Big Ten. Totally. Unless, okay, it was, a, it was four people who, who were on that subgroup, right, that came up with this whole thing. Well, three of them have retired already or are about to retire. The only one that's going to be left is Greg Sankey. And, you know, a four-person group, they probably had to reach some compromises. I would be surprised if Greg Sankey was the one pushing for six uh, spots to be reserved. So it's entirely possible that in 2026, they'll say, you know, no more automatic bids or maybe two, right? Or three. Well, that's true. But I, I do think like one thing I've been, as, as I've been talking to people over the last couple of weeks, one thing I've said over and over is 
so much can change in a year. I mean, we all joked about like, oh, the Pac-12, like they're falling apart. And, you know, I remember still when Wilner dropped the tweet about best best beat writer in the country about USC and UCLA will announce they're leaving for the Big Ten. And everyone was shocked. And then a year later, looked what happened. So I guess there's this part of me that just it. But again, maybe I'm just like in denial and naive, like the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. Maybe it's rubbed off on me that I'm just like, let's let's see what actually happens a year from now. Like who what this football schedule looks like, because I guess a part of me just thinks it could change again. You could. The ACC could be the next one to go. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, on the field this season in the Pac-12, all right? We all know about USC. Uh, they had a lot of, you know, everybody keeps saying this, for, if this is the last season, they're going out with a bang with with Caleb Williams, with Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. Um, UCLA could have a five-star freshman quarter. Like, there's a lot of exciting things. I know, by the way, Deion Sanders taking over at Colorado. I'll start with you, Bruce. Based on some of the stuff you've seen or heard coming out of preseason camp, What's maybe some under the radar storylines that you're interested in? Uh, you you obviously hit the high point items. We obviously talked just a you know a decent amount about Jonathan Smith and what you know he has coming back. Certainly, I actually think like you know Arizona has a really high powered offense. Jaden Delora put up a lot of big numbers last year. They have really good receivers. I mean, they're explosive on offense. They're kind of lost in the shuffle of like all these other quarterbacks, right? Because, you know, you mentioned, you know, Knicks and Caleb and certainly Michael Penix Jr. put up big numbers. Um, I think it's crazy because Cam Rising, now he's coming off a knee injury, but he beat Caleb twice last year. You know, they didn't win the Rose Bowl, but they went to it. Um, They still have playmakers around. I feel like they're always good. It's, it's, a ridiculous depth of quarterbacks, you know, because I don't know if Dante Moore is going to be the starter right out of the gate. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Garbers ends up, you know, getting the job. Um, we'll see. But I think because of all the, the star power and kind of the buzzworthy things, there's a bunch of good quarterbacks who are getting either forgotten or overlooked, right? I mean, even, you know, DJ goes to Oregon State, and he was the most hyped recruit of all of them. We'll see if he actually ends up, you know, winning exactly. the job and keeping it. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff up in the air. And I think that's why it's so interesting about the Pac-12, where you have guys, I mean, Cam Ward's going to at Wazoo is going to play in an offense 
where the la- where the offensive coordinator comes, where the last guy threw for about a million yards last year. They're going to throw the heck out of the ball. And so I just feel like it's going to, in a lot of ways, it's going to be like the, like the Big 12 was when Lincoln Riley was in the Big 12. I think it's going to be wild. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, whether somebody gets out of there with only one loss, I'm not so sure. You know, I think USC is really good, but they got to get a lot better on defense. And I think they'll get better. I just don't know how, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to hold serve with all the firepower they're going up against every week. It would be a very Pac-12 thing for the last year of the Pac-12 to just be about it eating its own, which usually happens, you know, and like (laughs) no one from the Pac-12 again going to the playoff. But I feel like some of those years where they said, oh, they, they eat, those teams weren't actually that great, you know, like they didn't have a team in the playoff because none of them were really playoff worthy teams. Like if you're, if you're that good, you should be able to get through it with one loss. The pro- also a lot of these times, I think of the 2019 Oregon team with, um, it was, uh, Justin Herbert's last season. Uh, they lost to Auburn in the first game on a last second. Who was the quarterback of Auburn then, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a last second Bo Nix touchdown drive. And, and then they almost went undefeated in conference. They lost one game and that was that, you know, like, so first you got to take care of your, you know, you got to win your, your marquee, like Oregon's going to Texas tech week too. That's not an easy game. Um, Washington's going to, they're playing Boise and they're going to Michigan state. And then obviously USC has Notre Dame. So um, I think if, if these teams win those non-conference games, you're gonna have a lot better chance to have a playoff team. But you know what would be the um, most the most Pac-12 thing of all for this way to end for Oregon State to win the league because I feel like that would be the least Pac-12. No, I think that would be like a happy ending for them. No, it would be (laughs) it would be a miserable ending for everybody but but the people in Corvallis because you'd leave on your last year with a team you basically left for dead. They weren't, you know, the mm-hmm. Big 12 didn't want them. The Big 10 didn't want them. And you really kind of, everybody snubbed them with the exception of Wazoo. Because even I feel like Hal and Stanford, to some degree, maybe this is, I don't know if this is. Oh, they're trying to ditch them right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're trying to get into the ACC. <laughs> yeah. And so when you look at the schedule, they actually don't play USC in the, in the regular season. Right. And then except for going to, um, to Eugene, their arch rival. I mean, they pretty much like they get Utah at home, they get Washington at home, they get UCLA at home, um, they they get Utah at home. It's weird, but like with the exception of the game against their arch rivals, everybody else comes to them who you know should you know it like, matters. Well, they have the most favorable schedule of the top of the teams that are ranked. Yeah, but how do you guys think the quarterback situation is going to play out? Bruce, you mentioned DJ. And he's having, you know, there, there's, they have the incumbent back. Ben Gold he wasn't very good. Uh, yeah, he wasn't very good. <laughs> but, but you know, they won games with him. DJ comes in, obviously, you bring somebody like that in, you expect him to be the starter. But then they have this true freshman, Aiden Childs, who everybody in the spring was like, wow, this guy's the future. And I think, frankly, some fans will be disappointed if he doesn't. I mean, he's not going to get it week one, but doesn't take over at some point. So... Um, I don't know. It, two years of watching DJ as Clemson's starting quarterback, I, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, he, maybe he has like a great turnaround story, but if not, go to the freshman. 
I'm what I'm curious with about with DJ is Oregon State and Clemson have a very different systems. So in the spring, I think his head was just spinning a little bit, trying to get caught up on the Oregon State playbook, which is really different. Um, what I've been, I was actually thinking about this the other day because I was putting their schedule in my calendar. Is it the whole, like, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks thing? Like, if they play both of them, is that a good thing, a bad thing? Now, obviously, coaches are so aware of the transfer portal. If you have this stud young kid and he doesn't play right away, he's going to go on the portal. Like, Especially if he thinks he's going to be in the Mountain West next year. <laughs> exactly, right? So <laughs> there's um... – By the way, he like so he Notre Dame come, came on him late is what I think Jonathan Smith had told me. And he stuck with the Beavers in that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he stuck it out, you know, either DJ is going to play really well or DJ is not going to probably have the job in November. And I think to be fair to him, like the first year he was a starter, I don't think he, he wasn't bad. I mean, 22 touchdowns, seven picks. He ran for over 500 yards and had a bunch more touchdowns. I think it was last year, it just, and you know, he talked to me in detail about everything that was frustrating for him. I was going to say, let's plug Bruce's great story that people should go read. Well, thank you. I, I they haven't read it by now, Lindsay, though. I don't think they're going to read it. But No, I think that people would read it now as we get ready to go into the season. But he was very good when he, when he was a freshman and he got thrown into it when uh, Trevor Lawrence got sidelined by COVID. He was really good against Notre Dame and against Boston College and put up, you know, handled himself very well it was last year where i think the frustration all around him including with him over and clemson had a lot of issues like let's be clear that it was not his fault so i think that he kind of bared the brunt of a lot of those but yeah i'm i'm curious and things could be really different week i is it week one because week zero is the first game so week one versus Week four. Can I ask you guys a Pac-12 question? Because I think about this all the time when I listen to the Audible, which I do every week. Number one, does Colorado get bowl eligible this year? And number two, if they don't, how big of a failure is that? Because people are just acting like Deion Sanders is going to the playoff. (laughs) No, I think even, I mean, it's definitely like the most um, people are fascinated by this story. They're intrigued by this story. But I don't think most reasonable people think they're actually going to be good. It's especially when when fans are not usually reasonable. Still, <laughs> well, maybe Colorado fans, but I don't know. People who are watching this from around the country, like I think they were so bad last year, right? One and eleven, non-competitive in almost every game. That Dion could go four and eight, and that would be a big improvement. Well, it's kind of like when. Um... Who was it at UW that went 0-12? And, and then was it Sark came in the next year? Yeah. And, well, like, and, and yeah. he was kind of yeah. hailed as like, oh, this ne- this genius because he had turned around. But it's like anyone could have won two games and they would have been so happy. I think but I don't know. I'm, just, I'm really curious to see if the experiment works. I was laughing the other day when that story came out about Deion Sanders was like chiding his players for not fighting at practice because I have this very vivid memory of being at an Oregon state practice years ago under Mike Riley and um, the offense, like the starting offense was on one field, the starting D was on another and some guys got into a fight on the starting offensive field. 
And this big D tackle started to make his way over to join the fight. And Mike Riley was like, don't you dare go over there. Cause that guy often got in trouble, uh, and had penalty flags thrown. So <laughs> I was like, D- that's Dion is leaning into that. I'm just not convinced that it's going to work. And then I, I wonder, does Colorado turn into like the Rutgers of, um, the big 12 of the big 12. Yeah. After 10 years of being the Rutgers of the Pac-12, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, the bar is so low. I think he'll, I think it will work over time. But I just, you know, he, it, as much as he's like, oh, we had to get rid of these players because they were so bad. And we got to, like, you can't tell me that he brought in 50 or 60 stud players. Like, there's a few. And one of them is his son, the quarterback. The other is Travis Hunter. But I don't know. I don't know that he's necessarily up. And the other thing is depth. Even let's say he brought in a dozen, 15 guys who are like really difference making players. Some of them are going to get hurt and it's going to get late in the season. And you're going to be playing a bunch of like glorified walk on. So, so, so let me ask you guys this, cause this is a, this is a, you know, I think a good talking point. Um, they won one game last year. As Stu said, if they win four, that's a market improvement. I'd be curious, like, if there was an over-under on, this is the threshold where people go, yeah, that is in line, not with the hype, because obviously it's Deion Sanders, there's always going to be a massive amount of hype, but where you're like, okay, that not, that I'm buying or whatever. Because I think if he goes four and eight, to be honest, I think anything less than that, I think people would be underwhelmed and disappointed by and mm-hmm. if he does, you know, I think he can win five games. I do. I mean, I look at the wow. schedule, you know, like I think it it would not surprise me. In fact, I suspect they will be two and one after the first three games. They play I'm just at, looking up their schedule. I wondered who do they miss? They play at TCU, which and full disclosure, these are first two are Fox games and we'll be at them at TCU and then host Nebraska for his for his for his. Uh, do you think they're going to beat Nebraska? Do I think they're going to be Nebraska? You just said they're going to be two and one. So are they beating TCU or Nebraska? I think I like their chances more with Nebraska coming in there because quite honestly, you know, Matt rules taken over a rough situation. Yeah. I think that place is going to be so hyped. That's their home opener. And Nebraska is not that good. So I could see that problem is at Oregon. Well, no, but the game after that is not Oregon. It's their, it's Colorado state. I think, I think they, you know, whether it's three, nine, four, eight, five, whatever, whatever the number, number is, is what, what I think, think will be make people think, OK, yeah, this could work is if they beat in Oregon or a USC or Utah, like if they beat one of the top teams in the conference, Maybe even if their overall record's bad. I don't think yeah. they're beating yeah. Oregon or USC. They might beat Arizona State on the road. I think they can certainly beat Stanford. I mean, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, it would be a stretch, but it wouldn't shock me if they were sitting at four and three when they went to UCLA in around Halloween. Bruce, let me ask you something, because I think you obviously have like more of a read um, on coaches and like who's a good coach. I heard from some people this spring that Deion Sanders, obviously all the hype around him and. He talks a lot. He creates a lot of attention. But someone told me um, he is a much better coach than you would think. He is good with adjustments. He's good at explaining things and breaking them down to players and helping guys really develop and learn the game. Do you think that that 
is accurate. I do think Deion Sanders is sitting on a much better hand than he wants people to let on. And I'm trying to find this quote from somebody I talked to in the last week on his staff. And it's, I thought it was a really, really good quote. I'm trying to find it. Here's the quote. He wants you to underestimate him. He wants to con you. All the things that are out there now, crazy and it's a circus, keep doing all that. All he's, all it's doing is fueling his fire. He is fueled by the disrespect. All these great ones, read about Jordan, Tiger, Brady. It's like even some of it's made up. The vast majority of people just can't understand it. The other thing is, it's like refreshing is he honestly, all the guys around him, they could care less, but he has a unique ability to pass along that feeling of confidence. Um, and then it kind of goes into more stuff. But I, I like saying. that he he likes to con you. Um, Kelsey Plum, who plays for the Las Vegas Aces and uh, set the NCAA scoring record when she was playing at UW, we were talking last summer, and she said that as a player, she always felt like having a coach that just like doesn't give a shit really does rub off on you as a player. And like she led Washington to a Final Four, they weren't. I don't think think they were ranked when she did that, um, and they upset a bunch of teams. And she's like. We had a staff that just didn't give a shit if people didn't believe in us or whatever. So I like that. That that us against them is very powerful. But I just think there are a lot of people who know Dion way better than anybody who's writing about him, including us. And so true. It's there's something to be said for that where it's like you really just don't get it, you know, kind of thing until like and and you know, one of these people, not the guy I talked to the other day, but it was like made the point about, did anybody, did anybody really think he was going to beat the rest of the country for Travis Hunter to get to a school nobody actually had heard of since Walter Payton was there? It was just like, kind of. Don't, don't underestimate the guys, what you're saying. Exactly. In terms of teams, we actually think might win the Pac-12 championship. I'm going to name a few. Which which of these of this group do you guys have the most confidence in, and which one do you have the least confidence in? USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah. Lindsay, you're the guest. Doesn't most of the confidence have to be in Utah? Like they're so good, they're so consistent. Whittingham is such a good coach, and we repeatedly like just don't talk about them. Um, I know I like that, that Bruce answer. has said. Yeah, I, I know that Bruce has said um, multiple times on this podcast that USC's defense is going to be better, and they brought in some transfers that are going to help their defense. But I'm just not a believer um, yet. Um, Caleb Williams is awesome, but I don't know. Did you see Bill Platsky said he thought they should go 12 and 0? That was a story today in the LA Times. I would That's, say so. I'm. That's a very Bill Plasky take, I think. Um, so you're take so you're taking Utah. Utah is the one I have the most confidence in. Who do you USC. have? The, and you, it sounds like you have the least confidence in USC. Yeah. yeah, I love it. That's a contrarian answer. We needed a contrarian on here. All right, <laughs> Bruce. Andy that, Staples would be I so say, proud. Be, before I say what I say, why did you just poke Bill Plasky in the eye? I don't understand where that. Came. I don't know what's very. <laughs> He's good at he's he's a fantastic writer, fantastic writer. So make sure clear nobody's I'm not suggesting otherwise. But you know, he's provocative. He has takes that get you to say, what's he talking about? Yeah. He's a columnist. Okay. Basically gave him the skip Bayless hat to wear or something. Okay. <laughs> no, this guy no, Bill Pachi can write. Um Okay. So I would say I probably have the most confidence in USC, to be honest. 
They have the best player Homer. in the league. I do think they have a lot of talent still surrounding them. There's different faces. It's not Jordan Addison, but they still have a lot of firepower. I think it's the second year in the system. I definitely think they've upgraded on. They just had warm bodies last year on defense in, in the back seven, especially at linebacker. I think they have upgraded. They have some guys now, you know, who can play. I think they have legit um, top 25 caliber guys. Now, some of them, some of the transfers on the D-line, I don't know if they're as good as maybe some of the hype is, but I still think they're better than what they had across the board. They just have more capable guys. And I think with the firepower they have and, and Lincoln Riley's as good as there is on offense, it also helps to me that, um, you know, they get Utah at home. Um, it's not great that they have to go to Notre Dame the week before, but I just don't think this Notre Dame team is a, is like a top five kind of team. So it's not like a, you know, you got two, two like heavyweights coming at you. Um, and I also think in that first stretch, like the first six games they play, probably the toughest team they play is Arizona at home. You know, so I think they have a chance for their defense to really kind of find a, find a groove a little bit. Like it's not like they're coming out of the gate where they could be on their heels. I mean, the biggest thing I think they have to learn to do and some of this comes with developing depth, and I think they'll have the chance to do that, is get better in the fourth quarter. They were horrible in the fourth quarter in the second half of games. Nobody was worse. I think they have a chance. Like, I can, I don't want to talk myself into thinking that they're going to go 12-0. and 0. I'm not saying that. But I, I do think they can get out, of the, get out of the regular season schedule maybe with only one loss. And I think if that's the case, then it comes down to, assuming Caleb is still healthy, obviously, the Caleb, right. can Caleb win the Pac-12 title game to get them in the playoff. And then they're a dangerous team because as we've seen, as we saw last year with Ohio State and and C.J. Stroud, I don't, you know, like if you have, and they have experienced offensive line or relatively experienced offensive line, you get in a game with a team that can score. I mean, they could have, Ohio State could have knocked Georgia out of, out, of the, uh, out of the playoff last year. It was real close. And quite honestly, Caleb is even better than C.J. Stroud is. That's and who is your least, which one are you least confident in? Of those four? Um, sorry, Lindsay. I'm going to say Utah just because. Wow. Yeah. Disrespect I, continues for the Utes. I'm not, well, is it the cam rising factor? Because that is a big question mark. Yeah, I mean, he's coming off the knee injury. I, I just think that, like, I think Washington is really explosive. And I think that. You know, Dan Lanning took with Mario Cristobal, and he's added to it with a lot of, you know, they have the big imposing offensive line. I think that they have a lot of speed on defense. Um, they have a really good group of receivers. Like when you, one of you guys brought up Justin Herbert, like I, I was around that team a bunch. And as as great as he was, um, they at one point they only had like one receiver who was like, felt like he was like a legit guy. And that guy was, it's not like that guy's tearing up the NFL. Like they really had, very little firepower for him to throw to. And now I feel like there's probably five receivers who they have who are who are really, you know, pretty explosive. So I have a little more confidence in Oregon than I guess I do in Utah. A little bit. But I still think Utah is a top 25 team. I could see six teams in the Pac-12 being top 25. Like I think the other two teams would be Oregon State and UCLA. 
Stu, after you answer your own question, I have something that I'm really curious to ask you guys, but you go first. Okay. Well, it's really close to me between USC and Washington of who I have the most faith in. I think I'm probably closer to Bruce than I am to Lindsay and USC for sure. Um, but I think, I think if USC, so I'm picking a USC versus Washington championship game where they both go in 11 and one. And I just feel like if Caleb Williams gets back to the championship game this year, after what happened last year, he's going to win. Cause he's, cause you said Bruce, he's, he's phenomenal. And remember he got hurt in that game and, and it went downhill from there for USC. So the one I'm least confident in is Oregon. Let's be honest. Like you got all these ranked teams. Somebody's got a flop, right? They're not, it's not going to go as predicted. And I think that the potential is there for Oregon because Bo Nix, everybody last year was like, what, the, where did this come from? Right? Like how did Bo Nix go from the guy he was in the sec to just like completing deep ball after deep ball after deep ball? Well, a big part of it is he had one of the best offensive lines in the country. Number two in the country in, um, fewest or lowest percentage of sacks allowed. And four of the five starters are gone. And some of those guys were there forever. So that could, I think that could cause them to take a step back. The old line. Oh, none of these teams had great defenses way. last year. The old right, line. Like, What's that? Yeah. That would be my honor. That had great defense. The NFL, by the way, the recurring theme would be of all these teams, Oregon, USC, even Utah was bad on defense last year. Washington, that's the, they all have the same question mark. Which one's actually going to get better on defense? I think, and the thing with USC and Washington is they do have, like Washington in particular, I don't understand why they're so bad in the first place. They've got dudes on the defensive line. They're going to get drafted very high. Just seemed like they, they underperformed last year. Oh, also Oregon's defensive coordinator is still Tosh Lupoy. Don't forget that when you're considering whether to pick Oregon to, you know, to go on to greatness. Um. Really fast, I want to say that I think part of the reason I'm not a USC believer is as an Oregon State alum, I have watched some USC football teams completely fall apart um, in my time of paying close attention to the Beavers. Um, what I was going to ask you guys, Bruce, when you uh, said you had the least faith in Utah, which Pac-12 stadium is hardest to win in, do you guys think? What's the toughest road environment? Because to me, it's Utah. That's a huge part of why I have faith in them. It's so hard I to do, win. I agree. Yeah. And the fans are right on top of you. I don't think people get that until you actually like are in that stadium. The The problem with that, though, Lindsay, is USC, they have to go to USC. They have to go to Washington. You know, Oregon does have to go in there. But, to, you know, of those teams, you know, two of them, maybe the two with the most firepower, they got to go there. And by, you know, like Washington is not a fun place to play. Like yeah. that place can get pretty loud. When it's rocking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, what's interesting again, and I was like, did a double take when, when Stuart Stu was saying this, when I saw the stats, you know, what the second best defense in the, in the conference last year, don't look it up, Stu. Can we give um, it a hint? <laughs> actually, I know, I do know that because it came up when I was researching my preview. The second best defense in the conference last year, but it was by a big margin behind Oregon State, was Washington. Yeah. But this is the sad state of the conference last year. Do you know where that second ranked defense ranked nationally? Oh, I don't 70th. <laughs> 70th. <laughs> yeah. That's how bad the defenses were last year. It is very much, it has very much become like circa two. It's the Big, 12. Big 12. It is the Big 12. Yeah. That's when you said that, Bruce, I was like, oh man, yeah, I can, I, that makes a lot of sense. But that's why I could see them 
coming up in a big way. Um, if, if, you know, uh, health, health, if people are healthy, like ZTF has not been, he was so dominant in that very, very short 2020 season. And he's been hurt by injuries ever since, but, um, all right. Well, I hope people enjoyed our little, uh, rundown of the conference that will soon be no more. We wish Oregon state luck, whatever, whatever the best case scenario you have been on the Oregon State bandwagon unlike any other, and you didn't pick them in your Pac-12 title game to get to the Pac-12 title game. I'm picking them to go 10-2 and two in the regular season, which would still be a really good season for them, right? That They probably haven't done that since the Chad Johnson. Um, so Johnson I sh- uh, what are the semifinals this year? Which the Rose and the Sugar. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, so that so would that be very Oregon State, very right? Oregon like State, they, right? Like they they would have gone to the Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl with the Rose Bowl yes. playoff. <laughs> that is the most Pac-12 slash Oregon State way to end. This yeah, no, that would be that would be very very fitting. Um, I don't know, maybe Phil. You you mentioned Phil Knight earlier. Phil Knight really really did want Oregon to take the Apple deal. From everything I've been told, he he wanted them to stay. He wanted them to take the Apple deal because he wants a national championship, and he knows that the path there's so much easier from, from a eight or whatever, about nine, 10 team conference than an 18 team, big 10. Actually, I want to ask um, Bruce who does a lot of recruiting stuff, a question about this. So I understand because Stu reported on this and so did some other people that the concern was if you took a streaming only deal, that's going to kill you in recruiting, right? Because you can't just like turn on the TV and see them. How much do you think, 16 and 18 year olds are actually sitting down in front of a TV and watching a game. Aren't they just seeing highlights on their phone? Like Messi, you know, is on MLS is on Apple TV. Plus. Yeah. We all saw that goal. I didn't, I'm not a subscriber to that thing, but I saw that goal. A million times. But I think that's a little different than ESPN, not talking about your program very much. And I think okay. you're, you're kind of drifting into the margins by on something that quite honestly, I think also soccer fans, especially of, of international soccer fans are much different than high school football recruits. Well, and my thing was, I don't think that a high school recruit is actually like watching, but their parents are probably. Yeah. And, and if they their parents to, and they get to see them, them, I just think there's something more to it. I, I think it's, I think the problem would have been, Hey, five-star receiver watch our game saturday well how do i watch it well you got to go to this site put in your credit card you know like like that that was going to be a problem date this too long but um this is actually probably before you were even at in corvallis as a student Lindsay. so back in the mid 90s espn had just started up as espn.com and i remember our partner company was based in bellevue washington it was a paul allen company and so I went over there to visit them. And at the time, uh, I did a story on the Washington basketball program. And and some of this was so long ago, it's like the mid-90s. I may not remember exactly the details just as they were. But one of the things was Washington had a really, had a prolific basketball player named Mark Sanford. Um, I feel like he was around a 20-point score. He was a pretty exciting um, player. But the coach there, I want to say it was Bob Bender. And... One of the frustrations that they had was because of the TV deal, I think it was all, might have been Fox Sports Net. I don't even know if Fox Sports Net existed then, but it was something along the lines mm-hmm. of that. And they, they, it was really frustrated because they felt like they could not get their recruits 
could not see them because there was no ESPN deal. And even what they had sometimes was, and this is the part I'm not sure if I'm remembering exactly as he said it, but it was like, even if we're recruiting a kid in like the state of Texas, something gets like overlapped where on their local broadcast, where the Texas kids, they would end up getting like a Baylor you know, Oklahoma SMU State, game yeah, or something. I something overlapping it. The Pac-10, which later became the Pac-12, like this has been their entire existence since it, they're always like one TV deal behind everyone else. No, always. Crazy about that is that um, that was the case even back when they were the Pac-10. It was always easier to find a Gonzaga basketball game because they've had a, the WCC has had a thing with Root forever easier to find them than to find Arizona sometimes. So this is all like, you know, we all should be repeating itself. Yeah. I mean, there were times when I lived in New York covering college football, this would have been, you know, in the like two, let's just say 2005 ish, like where, yeah, that PAC 12 game was, would be on, uh, would get preempted by a New York Rangers game. So, you know, the PAC 12 network was supposed to solve that. And of course, it, we all know the, the you know what ended up happening to that. Here's a perfect summation of it. Um, week zero next week, right? The this week we just talked about him a lot. Caleb Williams, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner, um, will be playing on Pac-12 Network against yeah San against San Jose State. State, right? I just noticed that most people are not going to see that game. Yep, but in but on ESPN in prime time, UMass at New Mexico State. Infinitely more people are going to see the UMass New Mexico State game than USC's opener. If it weren't for the freaking Pac-12 network, Christian McCaffrey would have won the Heisman. No question in my mind. Uh, David Shaw, yeah, it was a combination of that, and they had a lot of ten thirty kickoffs that year, which is the other thing they've they've always you know that's always hindered. Which they had to do because they had a bad TV deal. So that is the truth of this network when the book is written on them. By the way, I was correct. Bob Bender, in case you're wondering, was the coach of Washington. And Mark Sanford, who I wrote about, ended up playing for the Harlem Globetrotters and was nicknamed Airplane. And he is, this was so long ago, I think Mark Sanford's actually Stu's age. Maybe one of them. Well, I, I too was in college in the mid-90s. Yeah, with Bruce, when you were like, Lindsay, I think this is before you were there. I was like 10 in the mid-90s, Bruce. So yes, it was before I showed up. Well, if they had taken that Apple deal, it would have been, if they had taken the Apple deal, say what you will about it, anybody who wanted to watch a Pac-12 game would have, finally, it wouldn't matter where you lived, who your cable provider was, anybody who wanted to watch it could sign up. The problem was they didn't think anybody would sign up. So that's that's how it ended up where it ended up. All right. Well, this has been a fun little, speaking of after dark, we're having like a Pac-12 after dark podcast right now. Again, appropriate. Thanks so much for staying up, Lindsay, because especially since you were up in the middle of the night watching the um, Women's World Cup final. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to um, hang up now and go to sleep. (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. That was a fun Pac-12 discussion. We have two more conferences we need to preview, two more Power 5 conferences we need to preview. That would be the Big 12 and the SEC. We will hit one in our second episode this week. Then we've got Week 0 games on Saturday. And then we'll come back beginning of next week, talk about those games a little bit, and do our final Power 5 conference preview. And then the next thing you know, it'll be Week 1. Send your emails. We'll get to those next in the next episode as well. Theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. How did we get away?
the things we used to do. 